Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, we had United Night, and Dallas Greenaway taught on Jesus' famous words, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Following Jesus and adopting his lifestyle leads to an abundant life. Listen along to hear what it looks like to live these verses out in daily life. You guys know, it's been a part of our vision and heartbeat for a while now. That, uh, that high schoolers, you guys wouldn't see middle schoolers as an annoyance, but as an opportunity to kind of lead the way for, and middle schoolers that in some way, shape, or form, you might be able to look up, not just physically to these high schoolers, uh, but you would look up to them and just their maturity level, where they are spiritually, how they're pursuing the Lord, even in the midst of, we know that they're not perfect and we know that we're all making mistakes on a daily basis, but, but the ways that, that God is drawing us in and we're continuing to, uh, to answer that call and that draw, uh, hopefully that middle schoolers, you guys are, are inspired by that and some of the, the high school students. So uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dallas and I am our middle school uh, pastor. Yes, we do have one of those. And tonight I get to uh, speak to you guys. So it's good to see so many of you, like some of you ninth graders I pretty much haven't seen since you moved up, which is kind of sad and, uh, and, and bittersweet and some ways, but uh, but it's good to see you guys. It's good to be back with you. Uh, high schoolers, if I haven't seen you in a while, <clears throat> Trey, what's up? It's good to see you. I see you. I know, I see you like every Sunday morning, except for this morning. Where were you? Were you asleep? Yeah, we're doing this right now, Trey. I had every intent to do this. I'm just kidding. I know. You guys probably had some fun at homecoming last night. Uh, so tonight, we are going to be talking uh, from Matthew chapter 9. You can go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you want to there. And uh, I was reminded this, these past couple weeks, this has happened, I think, two times that I know of to uh, my boys. I have a five-year-old, and my son Samuel is going to be three tomorrow, all right? So make sure you uh, tag him, <clears throat> tag him on Instagram, and uh, send him a Snapchat, just kidding. My, he doesn't have a phone, and he probably won't have a phone until he's like 19. So don't worry. You're not alone. Samuel, listen, guys. I know. Phones are great for so many things, but I think they're actually killing us. I think I'm starting to realize this now. Uh, so Matthew chapter 9, but you, get, you can turn there. It's going to be on the screens in just a minute as well. Here's the thing that's been happening to my boys lately. Uh, just Well, two times, okay, that I know of. Maybe it's happened more, but my, my wife has made me aware Two times, uh, Brittany, my wife, is a stay-at-home mom, so she's there all day with them. She's doing kind of some homeschooling stuff, and she's into gardening, and she does these garden classes and all this fun stuff, and so she's doing it. She's killing it, and um, every now and then, the boys will be really engaged in whatever they're doing, so it might be Legos, which how many of you were Lego kids growing up? Maybe you still are. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, they might be playing with Legos, or they might be watching a show, or they just might be uh, battling with Nerf guns and lightsabers, and uh, you know, as boys do. And, and eventually, they come up, and, and tell me if you can relate to this, <clears throat> but, but what happens is Brittany will go outside while they're doing this to check on. We have some chickens in our yard. I can tell you about those later. Uh, we don't have homeowners, and so nobody can tell us not to, so we're just doing it, right? Uh, so but she'll go out to check on the chickens, or she'll go outside to get a breath of fresh air and you know, let the dogs out or whatever, and the boys, they're in, so engaged, they don't realize that she's left until they do. You know what I'm saying? And they finally come out of, like, it's like a, like a zone that they're in, just so focused. And they realize, like, we don't hear mom. Do you guys remember this feeling when you were a kid? It's kind of terrifying, okay? And, uh, I mean, 
if you don't remember, let me, let me help you because I'm sure you've had this experience at some point. Typically, it starts out with a nap, okay? Or maybe you're in the zone like my boys. Maybe for you, it was gaming or watching your favorite show. Or maybe for you, it was like Legos or something similar to what they're doing at this age. And you're so in the zone that once you come out, and it's like your mind lifts out of this, this place, this hole that you've been hidden in for so long. Or you wake up and you listen, and you're like, everything's not quite right. I hear nothing, right? Like there's no, there's not even like dogs in the house. If you guys have dogs or cats, I can't even hear my gerbils maybe is what some of you have thought, which how many of you have had gerbils in the room? Anybody ever had them? I had gerbils. Fred and George were their names from Harry Potter. Yes, they were brothers. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, And, but you can't hear anything. You don't hear your siblings, the ones you like and the ones you don't like so much right now, right? You can't hear your parents, You can't hear whoever it is that you live with and whatever creatures live in your house. It's just dead silent. And you're like, well, this is weird. And so you start to go, as one does, and investigate the home. And sure enough, you see that the animals are somehow gone. And my family is gone as well. And for a second, there's like this excitement of, I'm finally alone. I'm finally independent, right? Like, But then you start to realize, I don't have a job and how am I going to eat? And you start to ask them these deeper questions, and then you get a little concerned, and you're like, they left me, right? And so you start to call, and when it's really bad, you call, and nobody picks up. Have you ever had that happen? Or you send a text, and they're not even leaving you on scene. It's like nobody exists anymore, and now you stop wondering, did they leave me? And now you start asking, have I been left right? Has the rapture occurred and the Lord has come back and taken my family, but for whatever reason, you guys have never felt this way? You've never felt this way in your life? I've felt this way too many times to admit when I was younger. And and you're, you're for certain, like something's happened and I have now been left on this earth to fend for myself. Like the neighbors aren't even coming out of their houses, you're realizing, because they're not there either. They got taken too. And then, thankfully, right, somebody calls you back and at this point, you're crying because I thought I was alone. And, and it could even be the, the sibling that you dislike the most, but you are so happy to hear their voice, right? My boys have taken, here's how they've reacted in most of these moments, is just screaming, okay? It's actually, it's both hilarious and extremely sad because they think that mom's like pulled out of the driveway, even though they know they can go look for mom's van. And uh, they just think that mom's gone, dad's not here. And so they, they start freaking out, right? And they're just like, ah! My wife told me that my son kicked the back door the other day, like just, he just had no idea what to do, lost control, started kicking the back door, and she was like, what is happening in here? She thinks they're wrestling, they're afraid, they're like, we thought you left us, right? It's really, really kind of, again, it's kind of sad, it's kind of funny, but I think we all can relate to these moments where we, we think this thing has happened, and we start to think about it, we start to investigate, and then we kind of start to have a freak out moment, like, okay, what has happened here? What has gone wrong? And how can I fix this? How can I make this right? Will it ever be right again? And maybe that's a silly way to, to intro this, this message or this idea, but I, th- I think sometimes we have these freak out moments with other things in life too, right? And if I can just like kind of get straight to the point, I think that a lot of times when we think about life on the whole, And we think about some of the big questions of life, things like purpose, like why are we here, what are we doing here? Things like, hey, am I even even doing the right things on a daily basis? Like it feels like every day just feels the same. It feels like I wake up and I go to school 
and I do the school thing, and I say hey to these friends, and I hang out with them, and then I come home, and I do schoolwork, or maybe you go to practice, or whatever, and then you go to sleep, and you wake up, and you do it all over again. It's like, what's the, what's the reason? What's the purpose behind this? Or Maybe you've asked, asked questions like I was mentioning earlier, like, am I really going in the right direction? Am I making the right choices in life? Am I, am I making the right moves? Am I hanging out with the right people? Like, is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Or maybe you've kind <clears> of, <throat> like, spiritualized it and you've, you've asked questions, which, which isn't wrong, um, but you've asked questions like, man, am I really in, in God's will? Like, is this really God's will for my life? Is this really what God would have me doing? Is this who he has created me to be, the ways that I'm going about my life? And we might have this freak out moment where we think, man, I don't know if I'm doing that. And so we start going around to the metaphorical rooms of our house and we go, well, uh, maybe this is the answer and this is actually going to meet that need or, or answer those questions of, of what is my purpose and what is the reason that I exist and what does it look like to be in God's will? And so we, maybe we join this group of people and we, and we try to do that thing and it doesn't really work so much. And so we go to the next thing. We're like, well, maybe if I show up at this event, like <clears throat> maybe that will give me the answers that I'm looking for. If I believe in this or if I do that, inevitably these things fall short. And maybe that's why you're here tonight. Or maybe that's why you keep coming back as you're asking some of these things like, hey, what's my purpose? What's my reason for living? What am I here for? And this is maybe another kind of room in the house that you're checking out and wondering, hey, are there any answers here? And I want to say, if that's you, man, we're really glad you're here. We're, we're really glad that you've been coming. And maybe I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, or maybe you haven't ha- had the, the opportunity to share that, hey, that's actually what I'm looking for. I'm trying to find my purpose. I'm trying to find my reason for being. I'm trying to find what I'm actually here for. And I want you to know, like, really, we say you're welcome here. We say you belong here. But I want you to know that that is true, that if you are wrestling with those questions, we want to be there to, to wrestle with you. Not like to push back on all the things that you're saying, but hey, let's walk this thing together. And maybe tonight, some of those answers will be provided for you. I'm not going to pretend that all of them will be or that the clouds will open up and your, your answers will be uh, given to you just on a silver platter. But maybe some of that purpose and reason for living that you're asking for will be in some of the words of Jesus tonight. We're in, maybe for many of you, what is a familiar passage if you've been uh, around the church for any length of time. You know, this season, it's not just fall and it's not just uh, football season, but this is also the harvest season as well. Uh, Harvest season just means that there are things, there's crops that are ready to be picked. They've had all the fertilizer and all the water and all the taken care of that's been done, and now they're starting to produce some things. Uh, Think about things like pumpkins or apples or think about some grapes. Anybody like a good muscadine grape in here? Um, A good good booger grape if you've ever had one of those, right? Yeah, come on. Now you listen to this, okay? If you're downing on these booger grapes, your worship pastor, uh, I'm going to call you a worship pastor right now. I'm, I'm speaking it. Nathan Sheehan, he had a huge bowl of booger grapes this morning, and that dude was just chowing down on him. If you don't know what a booger grape is, these muscadine things, it's like you pop them in your mouth, you kind of slurp the, uh, this big booger membrane out of it. I'm grossing some of you out, right? Yeah, I, I see you're leaving right now. And, and it, it tastes like really weird, kind of chewy in your mouth. I, I'll, I'll stop. I'll stop describing it. 
then you have to spit the seeds out. Be careful. Don't, don't chew a bitter seed, okay? That can ruin your grape experience. But the rest of it, oh, man, I just love a good, good, uh, good muscadine grape there. So what were we talking about? <laughs> okay, it's the harvest season. <clears throat> harvest, meaning these fruits are, or, or these things are ready to be picked, all right? There's other things that we can mention that are ready and, and good to be picked and good and ready to be eaten. And this is a passage where Jesus is is kind of using that as a word picture. He talks about the harvest here, all right? So with those few things in mind, let's go ahead and read these verses. We're going to read uh, just through these three or four verses here, and then we'll stop and come back and camp at each one, all right? So it's on the screens. If you didn't bring your Bibles, I always encourage you to bring your paper and ink Bibles. There is something scientifically, and I believe spiritually, uh, something that is better for us when we are reading from this book ourselves, not just looking at a screen, okay? But screens can be helpful. Uh, verse 35, there's my soapbox for the night. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So here's what Jesus is doing. This is like the context of what he's doing right now. This is in the midst of his public ministry. Public meaning it was out and about. People were seeing him. They were hearing him. They were hearing the things that he was saying and teaching. Teaching and preaching is actually what these verses describe there in verse 35. That he's teaching and preaching the good news of what? Of the kingdom that the kingdom of God is at hand, that there is a better way of life, that there is a new way of life that you are invited to step into and are invited to live out. I should have said this earlier, but if you are looking for what we believe is our purpose and is our reason and where life is found, we're always going to be upfront about it. We believe that life is found in Jesus Christ, that it's found in giving your life, trusting him, giving him your faith, belief, giving him all of yourself, surrendering to him, but not just letting it be a mental thing, but actually letting our belief in him be something that so takes over and transforms our heart by the Holy Spirit working in us that it actually starts to be lived out in our life, that our faith doesn't just stop in our mind or with our words, but it actually transforms our life and that we take on the ways and lifestyle of Jesus. And what are his ways and lifestyle? Here's what he was doing in his ministry. It tells us right here, teaching, preaching, going around and healing. Simply put, he's meeting people's needs. Spiritually, he's telling them the good news. He's saying, hey, this is what your soul thirsts for. Other places in the scripture talk about this good news as living water for thirsty souls. And he's, he's, he's inviting people. He's putting this in front of people, saying this is where your soul will be fully satisfied. But while he's doing that, and people argue over this all the time, what's more important? Should we meet their physical needs first, or should we meet their spiritual needs first? Or should we meet their, their spiritual needs only and then hope that they get their spiritual needs met? Or should we just meet the Like people argue about this over and over, but we regularly see in Jesus' life where he's going about doing these things both together. He's teaching the gospel. He's sharing the good news. He's talking about the kingdom that he came to usher in. And he's healing. He's meeting physical needs. 
Jesus, as he goes, what's one of the things that seems to compel him as he sees these people and meets these needs is that verse 36 says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That as Jesus went, that he had compassion in his heart, and maybe you could even see it in his eyes or sense it with his presence, that as he saw people, he saw through them to really who they were and surely the needs that they had, spiritually and physically. Two things just to camp on this first for a second. That hasn't stopped being who our God is. He still has compassion on us. He still is in the business of meeting needs, physically and spiritually. And that is incredibly good news for us today. Because some of you here, maybe you're not asking the big questions of life, but you've got some real needs that like, oh yeah, I could list them out right now. Or I've got this one big one that's weighing heavy on me. Or my family is going through this. Or I know some friends who are going through that. You have some real needs in your life that need to be met. And maybe, maybe the question you're asking rather than, hey, what's this life all about? Is like, hey, when's God going to show up and meet this need? When's he going to show up and do something? Does he even care? I want you to know that Jesus doesn't, didn't just look on these folks and have compassion, but everywhere he went, this is what he did. This was a regular part of how he lived, and he still is doing that today, that when he looks down on this world, I think he sees very much the same thing. Sheep without a shepherd, people who are lost, that he, he wants more than anything for those folks to be found. Needs, real needs, physical needs, spiritual needs that, that he can meet. He very much cares for us. He very much has compassion on us. And that's really good news. And maybe somebody just needed to hear that, that he sees you right where you are tonight. The second thing I want to kind of ask about this passage is how do we see people when we look at them? When we look at people, whether it's at our schools or on our sports teams or people as you're walking the neighborhood or driving through or maybe as you're looking at all the people. There's a lot of you guys here tonight, which we're really thankful for. But how do you view people? What's, what's kind of your first reaction as you see people? I know for me, for a long time, it was being extremely judgmental. Or I would, I would like size myself up, right? Maybe I did at some point have some sort of little man syndrome, and I was like, yeah, but I'm little man and stocky, right? Like, could I, could I take that guy Am I stronger? Like, I know I can move a lot of weight, but could I take him in a fist fight, right? Would my arms be long enough? Like, I would really have these thoughts in my mind. What's, what's your first reaction when you see people? Is it one of compassion like our Lord had for others and has for you? Or is it something different? And what might change in that simple, though admittedly difficult, perspective shift? If you just started asking, hey, God, let me see people like you see people. Because more often than not, I think I'm seeing the opposite when I look at folks. I'm seeing all their flaws. I'm seeing ways that I'm better than them. I'm extremely judgmental towards them. I'm seeing all that stuff, but that doesn't seem to be the pattern of life that Jesus had when he looked at folks. So Lord, help me see them like you saw them. And then Jesus turns to his disciples 
Verse 37, and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Here's kind of our, our answer to our question earlier. Like, so what's, what's my purpose? And I've kind of already been touching on it, kind of already been hitting on it. But what's, what, is, what does it mean to, to be in God's will? Well, I think it means a lot of things, honestly. And we don't have enough time to talk about what exactly does God's will mean. But I think maybe like a, a short and sweet answer would be like, yes, I think sometimes God has specific things for specific people that he asks you or invites you into. I think that's true. We see it over and over again in the scriptures. But on a bigger, hey, what's God's will? What's God's purpose? What does God, what does God want me to be doing right now? How, do I, how, how am I supposed to be the person he's created me to be? I think really simply, it's to follow the footsteps of Jesus. That his will for you and for me, is to do the things that Jesus did. Jesus turns to his disciples and says, after fulfilling needs, spiritual, physical, after leading by example with how he sees people, hey, there is more work to be done. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's more needs to be met, certainly spiritual. He uses that picture of, of, of a of sheep without a shepherd. There's people who need to hear the good news. They need to have the, the dry well of their soul quenched with water that only Jesus can bring. And there's surely, we see it all the time, our physical needs that need to be met. People who need to be healed mentally, physically, emotionally. People who need some sort of physical need met, especially in the time that we are in right now and what looks like we're headed into. There's going to be more and more people who are, are losing their jobs for all kinds of different reasons, and gas prices are going crazy, and all these things. Some people are struggling to buy a house, and there's obviously physical needs on this planet that still need to be met. And Jesus says, hey, there's more work to be done, so pray to the Lord of the harvest, the Lord who is in control of all these things, that many of those needs would be met, and that it would be met through people. Some of you might say, yeah, but he doesn't turn to his disciples and say, hey, so you guys go out. Funny you should say that. Because the next few verses, if you, if you read into chapter 10, Jesus does exactly that. He's not just asking us in this room, hey, so pray for missionaries to go out to the other side of the world. Or pray that, uh, that somebody would, would go and reach some of the poor areas in Greenville. No, Jesus is is inviting all of us into, his disciples included. He's invited us to be a part of the harvest, to be workers in the harvest, to be people who he is working through and using to meet the needs of this broken and needy world. What happens in chapter 10? Jesus turns to his disciples and sends all of them out two by two to do what? The same things that he's been modeling for them for a long while now. Go and have compassion. Go and meet needs. Go and share the good news. Go and follow in my footsteps everywhere you go. Now, I've been in your shoes, right? <clears throat> I'm getting pretty old now, I would say. But I, I, remember, I remember being in high school and, okay, well, I'll, like, I'll do that one day. Or I would, I would do it like if I have the opportunity to go on like a mission trip or something. 
Or, you know, like if, if God put that person right in front of me, I would do it. <clears throat> and I hear you, and I, I can relate. Like I understand all those thoughts and probably some other ones that you're having. So let me tell a, a quick story real quick that's redundant, a quick story real quick. And uh, it has to do with, with hurricane season. And every year during hurricane season, I'm reminded of this story. And really, it's a story of God's grace. Okay, I'm, I'm about to tell you a story of, of something that I, I truly feel like God was, was in the midst of clearly based on how the story ends up. And I want you to know I'm not trying to pump myself up or, or make myself look great because I had very little to do uh, with what I'm about to tell you. But every year during hurricane season, I remember Hurricane Katrina, which happened before a lot of you guys were born. And it was one of the most devastating uh, when it comes to uh, monetarily, just all the damage and destruction, uh, one of the most devastating hurricanes, if not the most devastating hurricane in our, our nation's history, and maybe one of the top in the world, and, and certainly took a lot of not just buildings and money away from people, but also took many people's lives. There were people who were living in New Orleans in the time that Hurricane Katrina hit, uh, living in Louisiana, who were too poor to go anywhere. They were stuck. They were were helpless, hopeless, and as a result, this hurricane took many of their lives and displaced many, many more. And one of the, the families who was displaced, I was in high school at the time that this hurricane hit, I believe it was like in 2006 or 2005, something around there. Uh, one of the families that was displaced during Hurricane Katrina was a family that moved right down the street from me in my neighborhood, the same neighborhood that my parents still live in today. It's a neighborhood I grew up in, uh, and my parents have been there for like 20-something years now. And this family, <clears throat> admittedly, like, they were, they were New Orleans, okay? And I don't know if you've ever been. How many of you have been to New Orleans? Yeah, nice. There's a lot of culture down there, a lot of, like, really cool, fun stuff, beignets, which are like this powdery donut kind of thing. Oh, man, it's incredible. Uh, but there, there's also a lot, of, a lot of darkness and a lot of uh, things that aren't so great. And in this family, the mother in this family was actually into some of that stuff, like into some uh, witchcraft kind of things, into some voodoo kind of things. And I know it sounds like, what? People really, yes, they really do that. You've seen enough TikToks to know, okay? And, and she was very much into that. And, and you could almost like, I don't know how else to describe it other than you could kind of sense, like when you got around her, that, that she was into some of that stuff. There was like this aura, this presence around her, and it was not a positive, it's not a positive vibe, okay? We would not have said vibe back in the day, but... It was not a positive vibe. It was not a positive energy. And when I first met their son, his name was Josh, and uh, when I first met Josh, I could tell, like, this, this dude had been through some, some stuff. He'd seen some stuff, and he'd, he'd been involved in some things that, uh, I, I mean, I was, a, I was a pretty good kid growing up, right? So I never got into, like, any drugs or did any kind of partying or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think most people knew, like, hey, he's not about that, so we're, you know, we're not going to invite him to that stuff. I think I got invited to one party that ended up having uh, alcohol in it, okay? Maybe I shouldn't be talking about this with middle school. And, uh, and I didn't even know it was happening because they were like, hey, Dallas doesn't do that, so we're going to keep it in the back room kind of thing, um, which I was really thankful for, that they knew that, and uh, Josh was, was into some of that stuff, and I could tell pretty early on that, like, that's the kind of people that he was looking to hang around with, and, uh, but, but we became friends, and eventually we became really good friends. We went to the same school. We were in the same grade. We rode the bus every single day together to school uh, and back from school, back home. Uh, he was into soccer. I was terrible at soccer, uh, but we played it together anyway, like in our pool parking lot kind of thing, setting up some goals. And I mean, we became really good friends and really close. And eventually, like I, I was a believer at the time, I trusted Jesus when I was in eighth grade. And um, eventually we would start talking about things like God and we'd start talking about my faith. And 
always trying to be careful because I knew some of the things that his mom was into based on what he told me, but, but he was curious, man. I don't know, like just something in him, wanted to know more. And I would invite him to church, and he probably came a handful of times over the years, and we kind of went through high school and like be, became closer and closer and, and, and tighter and tighter. And, you know, eventually I, I kind of like we left and went our separate ways in a lot of ways once high school was done and we went to college. And, um, you know, I would think about him sometimes and pray for him and that kind of thing. And just a few years ago, uh, he we kind of ran into each other. He now lives in Spartanburg and he's a cop over there. And um, we ran into each other and I hadn't seen him in a long time. And I was like, man, how are you doing? And he started sharing with me, like, now he's got a wife, he's got a couple kids, he's a cop. And he was like, dude, I just want to tell you, like, thanks for being Jesus to me when I was, like, probably the furthest kid from Jesus that you knew. I was like, what? He's like, man, I don't know how else to say this, but I trusted Christ a few years ago, and I really do attribute it largely to your influence in my life. And I was like, whoa, right? Like, I mean, I would pray for him, and we'd have those conversations, but it, it really was that simple. There was never like a, you know, well, right? Like a knock on the door. Hey, witch lady, right? Like, let me tell you about Jesus and your whole family. Like, there's never a, a barge down the door, and maybe some people do need that, okay? And by the way, I love his family. I'm not trying to knock his mom, but that's the kind of stuff that she was into, and I think still is. But, but Josh said, man, I'm a part of a church. I've got my wife and a few kids, another one on the way. I'm a cop in Spartanburg trying to do some good stuff around in some really hard situations. And, and every step of the way, I'm just trying to follow Jesus, whatever that looks like. And I think that, that God really used you in my life to have some sort of impact. And so I, I say that to say this, like sometimes we see this big, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And we think that we have to go to the far reaches of the world or we have to have enough degrees behind our name or we have to be put in, in the exact right situation. But I'm telling you, at some point in my life, I started to think about it in this way. It's three Ps. You've probably heard me use them before. The first of which is people. When it comes to the harvest, Here's what I think Jesus is inviting us into is that every single day he's put us around certain people. People in your life that you may not like think a lot of like, well, yeah, they're just my friends or they're just my classmates or just my teammates. But for some reason, God has seen fit to put you right next to them or put you in their circle as a teammate or put you as their neighbor. And I've got so many stories about things that God's been doing in my neighborhood and in, in the lives of my neighbors just because me and my wife said, hey, what might God want us to do? We're around these people all the time. What might he want us to do around them? Who are the people that God's put you around? What if you started asking, hey, God, what is it that you want me to do around these people? How is it that you want me to speak? How is it that you want me to live? God provides some opportunities. God changed my perspective of how I even look at them. The second of the P's is places. That God's put you in physical places right now. Physical places, places of influence, places of power. Some of you are in student government, and you may not feel like you have a lot of power, but you got some sort of power in, in your schools, right? Some sort of ability to make some decisions. He's put you in places of influence with people. He's put you on teams. He's put you in neighborhoods. He's put you in jobs, He's put you in specific places, and he hasn't, you got to understand this, he hasn't chosen to put somebody else there. So many of us are wandering around asking, what is the will of God in my life? Then in the meantime, it's right there in front of you. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What if you started seeing the people that you're around and the places that God has put you in 
as a place where the harvest just might be plentiful. And then the third thing is your passions. Man, some of you, I'm terrible at art. Terrible at it, okay? I followed this little YouTube video of making uh, Darth Vader the other day, and I felt so cool. But that's all I got, okay? That's all I got when it comes to art. But some of you are fantastic artists. What might it, be, what might it look like to use your art for the glory of God? To further the kingdom? To preach the good news through your art? Or maybe it's music, or it's athletics, Or some of you have a way better math brain than me, a way better English brain. Some of you are coders. Right? (laughs) See, that's the exact, I'm revving up the coding engine, okay? I'm revving up the coding, (laughs) that shows you how much I know about coding, okay? But some some of you have way, like brains that function in incredibly unique ways and, and you like those things and the person sitting next to you hates those things. Why might that be? Yeah, we're made different, but, but God made you that way for a reason, for a purpose. What if he actually wanted to take the things that you're good at and you enjoy and use those things, your passions, to advance and further his kingdom? People, places, passions. Really, really simple. The, the person for me in my story was Josh. The place was my neighborhood and school. The passions, to be honest, like, I loved football, and I mean, he's a Saints fan, and we talked about that a lot, but a lot of times it was me just saying, like, I just, like, I just want to be your friend, and whatever you're passionate about, like, sure, I'll play soccer with you. Sometimes it's setting aside your passions. It looks different in different situations, but man, those three simple things have changed my perspective about what does it look like to actually join God in his harvest, and maybe you're still saying, yeah, but I just don't know if I have what it takes. That's a great place to be. That's a perfect place to be. Because all this talk, maybe I've made you feel kind of good about it. But in the end, you and I don't actually have what it takes to change somebody's mind about who God is. And we certainly don't have what it takes to change or transform their heart. But that's kind of the point. Like, he never intended it for, to just be on us. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working through us. And it's this picture that kind of goes really great along with this harvest idea and this harvest season. It's in John chapter 15. Remember I told you one of the things that's harvested right now that people are going and plucking off vines all over the country is grapes. And Jesus gives us this picture in John chapter 15 verse 5. Here's what he says, I am the vine. Other places throughout this he says, I am the true vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, whoever like stays in me, whoever remains in me, as you go about your days, you're in communication with me. Whoever does this, they, are, they abide in me and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He is the one true vine, our source of life, our source of energy, our source of satisfaction, our source of direction, and we are just a branch off of him. And as long as we stay connected to him, it's not us working anyway. It's him working and moving and speaking through us, around the people, in the places, and with the passions. If you stay connected to him, he's the one that's doing it all anyway. So you don't have it all figured out. You don't have to have a seminary degree 
to tell somebody about God. You don't have to have been in church for 16 years or even 16 weeks if you put your faith and trust in him that he is going to work through you and in you in those three Ps. So for you, what does it look like to join the harvest? What does it look like to have a different perspective about school tomorrow, about cookout tonight? Let me tell you, some of you need to have a different perspective about cookout tonight. I just, I hear stories, okay? And I pull up in my car, pull up in my car and get a Butterfinger milkshake every, every Sunday night, and I'm addicted, and I, pray for me. Okay. What does it look like? Are you clapping for the Butterfinger milkshake or for the things? Just kidding. You guys are mostly great at cookout. You're mostly great at cookout. But I've seen some things. Uh, what does it look like to join the harvest? Once you leave here, once you wake up tomorrow, once your sport team has another practice. Guys, like, like I think when you, when you start to see this, when God starts to change your mind, it really is going to change not just how you think, but then how you live. And isn't that so much of what we've been talking about in the book of James? That our faith would not just be something we say, not just be something we think, but would actually start to shape our lives. That it would be the Holy Spirit that is moving and working within us so that somebody else might be drawn into that. That somebody else might get connected to the vine and find true life and abundant life at that. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the harvest season. I'm starting to see the older I get that these seasons really do remind us or point us to certain things about you and about this life that you've called us, invited us to join you in. Father, I pray for those of us in this room who who have heard any part of this message that you would change our perspective. Maybe it's just on one person, or maybe it's on one place that you've put us in, or maybe it's on one gifting that you've given us. But in some way, would you start to shift our perspective to be kingdom-minded and others-minded that we might have a mind, as the scriptures talk about, that looks more like the mind of Christ than like our own minds that are just out there seeking what it is that we can get. We want to join you, God. We hear that the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people who have a lot of needs, spiritual, physical, all the way around. May you help even one of us to be a part of meeting those needs. May the gospel, the good news, the kingdom go forth from this room. Not because of how great we are, but because that's just what you do. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.